0: You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning. Um, before we get started, uh, as I was reading this morning, I was reading in Psalms, the end of Psalms, and, uh, this isn't actually part of, uh, what I want to be speaking about this morning, but I felt like we needed to start with this, especially after nothing else matters. It's in, uh, Psalms chapter 145 verse eight. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I'm speaking on patience this morning, and when you think of a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, I don't think, I I think we're going to be talking about shifting our mindset about who God is. I think it's important that we start right away with recognizing God's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And so I want to start by praying right there this morning. Um... So uh, if you will give me a second, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, putting this word on my heart this morning, but I thank you more for uh, all of the volunteers, all of the people that have chosen to make this Sunday morning um, Important, important by walking through the the doors, important by sitting in these uh, seats and just uh, saying, hey, you know what, what does this look like to live out this life, to be set apart for you? I pray, Lord, that as we dive into the word, dive into scripture, that we would recognize that being set apart, that we are looking different, and that we would look different as we walk out of these doors this morning. We thank you, we trust you, in the name of Jesus, amen. I walk around when my eyes are closed, and all of a sudden, I end up way back here. Um, Hey, I I hope that you guys have all been enjoying your summer, or uh, if you're anything like my family, you live for summer, so everything about uh, the entire year lives for July and August. Uh, That's exactly how our family deals with things, but you might be one of those fall people who are waiting for that favorite pumpkin pumpkin spice latte uh, from Starbucks to come out. Yeah, some people get excited about that, but uh, what will you have to be? Uh, you'll have to be patient. Yeah, that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, And uh, because I really still want to enjoy August. And uh, so as, you know, several months ago, Pastor Tom reached out to me and asked uh, if I'd be interested in preaching. And uh, ultimately, we decided on patience as the topic or the attribute of um, the fruit of the Spirit that uh, I'd be speaking about. And I would have told you that I was probably a pretty qualified person to speak on patience. Now that sounds super arrogant and prideful and I totally recognize that. Um, And I'm intentionally saying that because uh, for the last six years in my life, uh, my family has had to go through a fair amount that has forced us to be very, very patient. And so I said, ah, we got this, got this in the bag. Well, of course, when you get asked to preach on patience, what does God do in his unique way? Right? He, uh, he makes you be patient and overabundantly patient. So over the last two months, I feel like I have had to be extremely patient. Uh, and it's amazing how God uses our inadequacies, our pride, our despair to take us to a level when we speak, whether we're speaking on this platform or we're speaking to anyone, about his mercies and his grace and his love. And I think all you'd have to do is look at the last two Sundays to recognize uh, that that happened from this platform. Two weeks ago, Annie preached on, holy smokes, what you, Joy? Whew. Sorry, I had to look at my notes. That's why they're here. Um, She preached on joy. And not because Annie has more joy than the next person. And I think that Annie would tell you, and she told you this morning, or that morning, that uh, she was really struggling finding joy. So what did she do? She preached from trying to find true joy. Her message, true joy doesn't come through our circumstances. True, True joy is only found in him. Last week, Pastor Megan preached. She preached on peace. And can we just take a second to consider her life? And I don't know if she'd really—I asked her if I could do this, um, but obviously it's a little weird, especially when Annie makes the entire church cheer for you. Uh, It's kind of weird to have people cheer or talk about you. But um, Pastor Megan is a pastor. She is married to a pastor. She has three young kids. And her husband is constantly, as being the lead pastor of a large church, in the crosshairs of everyone's opinion about how the church should run. If you're a wife, or at least I know how my wife deals with that, that wouldn't go well. And so what did she do? She didn't preach or speak about her understanding of worldly peace. She spoke only from understanding God's peace. And so I hope, even though I'm not a theologian, I don't claim to know more about patience than anyone else, uh, I hope you'll trust me to share from an imperfect, impatient vessel uh, God's truth this morning. Our central scripture, uh, and you've all seen it, we've said it every Sunday uh, for the last three Sundays, so we'll uh, We'll read it again. But as we read it, and I want you to get out your Bible or your version. Uh, You can also see it up on the screen. As we read it, um, I'm going to read the first part. But when we start to get to the list, I want to slow down for just a second. And I want you to read it out loud with me. Okay? Can you do that? Okay. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Okay, here we go. Ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know, I think, I think if you showed all of those nine attributes, uh, people would consider you set apart. Right? If you, if you take all those nine attributes, you'd be like, yeah, that person would be set apart. At least certainly in our current culture. But if you look at the last two weeks, you'll realize that life is pretty hard to just always show those nine attributes. And uh, um, I'm going to use the term attribute to talk about the list here. Uh, Pastor Megan talked about it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so anytime I talk about each of the lists, I'll say the word attribute. But I think that if we're not intentional about living out this life with what Christ left behind for us, which is the Holy Spirit... There's no amount of help that I can say. There's no amount of help that anyone else can say if you're not intentional living and recognizing the Holy Spirit living inside your life. So when I read this verse, uh, and and probably as I started to prepare for this, uh, the thing that struck me is the use of the word fruit. Why did Paul, the writer of Galatians, use fruit? Uh, Because you could have said, or he could have used a term like characteristics of the spirit, elements of the spirit, traits of the spirit, qualities of the spirit. I, I mean, those all seem like they could fit right there. And while fruit has some amazing characteristics, it nourishes, it's sweet, you need time to let it grow, it reproduces itself. The reason that the term fruit is used is that it implies that there is a result so what do I mean by implying there's a result? When you have fruit, there is a process that happens of that tree not seeing any fruit. right? There's a reward. Fruit is the reward of that tree expending energy and producing that fruit. And while fruit might have some amazing attributes, nourishes as a sweet like I said, I think it's important to recognize that we don't, um, the word fruit here is intentional. We don't get a chance to just say, oh, we're going to go over that and we're going to deal with these nine attributes. Fruit implies that the work that happens, there's a reward to it. And so before we start with patience, we have to recognize that everything that produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives first begins with love the first attribute. And in fact, some theologians actually are surprised at why love is even mentioned in this list, because if you look at them, you can't actually pull love out of any of the other eight attributes. Love has to be a central to everything else. And if you look at all, all nine of them, you'd actually probably consider that all nine of them can't be pulled apart. What do I mean by that? If you're struggling with faithfulness in your marriage or faithfulness to God outside of marriage, are you showing self-control or being patient with God's promise? How about gentleness with your family? Are you finding joy and peace in your life or are you relying too much on your circumstances? What if you fly off the handle way too easy and are lacking self-control? Where are you showing kindness towards others? And if you're struggling with love, like we just talked about, well, then somewhere along the line, there's a deficit in one of the others. Finally, what about patience? Uh, As I told you, I thought that I was probably pretty set with patience, but um, in December of 2022, what is that, seven, eight months ago, I wasn't just losing patience. I probably had lost my patience, you could say. Um, If you know... uh, what has happened in my, with my family over the last little bit. Um, in December of 2022, uh, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And if you've gone through that diagnosis, and it doesn't matter whether it's breast cancer or any type of cancer, uh, you recognize that it is an excruciating, and I mean excruciating waiting game. You go for your routine mammogram, and then you wait. They call you, and they say, ah, we see a little something, so we want you to go for a sonogram. And you go to a sonogram, and then you wait. You know what? There's, I, we're not quite sure of what's going on, so we want you to go to MRI, and then you wait. And then they say, yeah, we probably should go in there, so let's have a biopsy. And then you wait some more. Well, after the biopsy, they say, you have cancer. And we need to do surgery, but you know what? We can't do it right away, so you're going to wait. You have surgery, you wait. You have an appointment after surgery, you wait. And they say, oh, you know what? Radiation isn't going to happen until such and such. So you're waiting, and you're waiting, and it's excruciating. And so our family was in the midst of this. We had been diagnosed, uh, or Jen had been diagnosed, and uh, we decided to, we had a trip planned to go down to um, Florida in December. It was going to be our, our family's first Christmas vacation. We were extremely excited about it, and uh, we um, we get down to Florida, and it uh, on Christmas Eve. So we had been there for a couple days. On Christmas Eve, we woke up and the temperature was 35 degrees with a wind chill of 29. I know how that feels. I live in central New York, right? I don't need to fly to Florida to know how that feels. Uh, It was certainly not uh, what we were hoping for as a vacation because you just, everything in Florida is set up for you to be outside. So um, when you're inside, that just doesn't go well. And as any good dad or good father in this room would, uh, he sees his children spending too much time on electronics. So what does he do? He says, hey, we're going to have an electronic-free day, so I want all of your phones here. I hope someone's laughing right now because <laughs> you can all picture how horrific that was because I thought I had a, a good idea to take their phones. Um, it didn't go so well. Uh So seriously, by the end of our trip, none of us had any patience. We didn't have patience about it. We didn't have patience with each other. All we wanted to do was get home, which is the opposite of every vacation that I've ever been on. So why do I tell you that story? Uh, I probably tell you the Florida part just for you to feel bad for me. So hopefully you felt bad for me. Um, But I told you the uh, Jen's cancer uh, part because... Um, our family had to realize that we, that we were in a real set a, a real time of patience and that no well now was going to change that diagnosis you see our culture tells us that we need everything now if, uh, if you need food you got a microwave to make it up really fast. Or you just get DoorDash, and they dash it to your house because you don't really actually want to leave. Or if you need to cook something really quick, you get Instapot um, because you need that food instantly. And my wife really likes her Instapot, so hopefully I get to still eat this week. Um, if uh, If you want the news, you've got 140 characters that you can quickly pull up. Or I think that they expanded it to 280 characters, but you got the news like that. Or you can just read the headlines really quickly. Just pick the headlines that you want. What about friends? Friends, all you have to do is click add friend. Boom, you're friends. Just like that. You have new friends. Or you can share pictures through Insta, Instagram or Snapchat. And you can talk about your day taking pictures of your walls, your ceiling, your forehead 150 times throughout the day. My teenagers know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe everyone under 25 knew exactly what I was talking about. What about work? You want a quick work environment. There are tons of apps, metrics, programs that can help you be more efficient, send emails quicker, be more succinct with your communication. The uh, the, uh, CEO of Salesforce said that the new currency of business was speed. Speed being the new currency of business. And I haven't even talked about in business uh, chat GPT and how that's used, or Quicken Loans for mortgages, or Carvana to buy, a, um, to buy a car. All things that you can just do like that. How about a relationship? If you really want a, a, a meaningful relationship, you put in a profile, you let an algorithm choose uh, the person that's for you, and boom, you're matched. Just like that. Or. If you want to skip all those steps, you just swipe right, and hopefully the other person swipes right too. Again, probably something that only the t- people under 30 know. Just ask them what I am meaning. It's disgusting, but you'll understand. How about in the medical field? Uh, I don't actually call for a doctor anymore. I because uh, I don't really want to wait 24 or 48 hours for that appointment. I just go to urgent now or, or I'm sorry, urgent care or well now, right? Boom, like that. Or maybe I make purchases. I don't actually have to pull out cash anymore. I just uh, tap, slide, insert, keep the tab open, order Instacart, Insta, right there, boom. And let's not talk about Amazon in here, right? That might be sacrilegious. I mean, I don't even know why I'm paying for Prime anymore because that two days is just really not holding up its end of the bargain. Come on now. I know you guys use Amazon. Um, and of course, to uh, prepare for this sermon, I watched a TED Talk. Why? I didn't have time to read the book. Really, did. And what about Bible reading? We have you version, they give you the scripture of the day, just like that. And that's all I really need for the day, right? Sorry, maybe I shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> don't get me wrong a lot of these are really great things and a lot of them have made our lives so much easier uh, so much more efficient but as a believer or even not as a believer you don't have to believer, be a believer here to recognize that they are all pushing you to a speed efficiency trap and we better deal with it right and the crazy thing is to think about everything that I've talked about, everything that is um, like that has all happened in the last two decades. Under 20 years, all of that stuff is now our reality. Listen to these statistics. Amazon would lose $1.6 billion a year if its homepage opened one second slower. $1.6 billion for one second. 53% of all shoppers will leave a website if it takes longer than three seconds for a page to open. One two, three, you're leaving. 75% of mobile users expect immediate answers from internet questions. A two-second delay in a page opening represents 87% abandon, abandonment rates. In New York, 82% of us say speed determines whether you will purchase something or not. Right? I have more statistics. We could continue to read them. Everything, everything in our lives is intentionally set up for us never to have to wait. The entire experience of our first world society is designed for efficiency and speed. So what do we do to deal with this? We attempt to find a proper work-life balance, right? If anyone finds it in here, please let me know because I would like to learn it uh, because it's a struggle. We say we're trying to find a work-life balance, but are we really actually finding that? We take intentional vacations or maybe we say, you know what, I'm not going to answer my email from such and such to such and such. You're trying to limit the chaos in your life because it just keeps coming at you no matter what. What about parenting? Parenting is this constant uh, battle of trying to be patient, (laughs) trying to find ways to be patient. It's the hardest thing. It's certainly the hardest job I've ever done. Uh, And you're just constantly trying to be patient and My three kids who are sitting over there could absolutely tell you times that dad has lost his patience. Maybe you would actually say you are patient. And if you say that, I would ask you if you've asked others around you. Have you asked your kids if you're patient? Have you asked your spouse if you're patient? We listen to music. We try to get away to coffee shops. We do everything we possibly can to try to slow down our lives just a little bit. Because we know that at some point when we have to go back into work or we have to go back home or we have to go back into having that conversation with someone, that the rat race is going to pick up again, that we're going to be moving at light speed. So I think that the first thing that we need to do is we have to define what patience is. And if everything in our culture is saying that you don't actually need patience, then we have to determine if patience is actually necessary. You, you could easily say, well, it says it in the Bible, so I'm supposed to be patient. Sure, you could do that. But is it necessary for our lives to be fruitful, to be abundant? In, uh, in older Bible translations, uh, we're using the term patience. It's in English Standard Version. Uh, Pastor Tom reads from the New Living Translation. The term is used as patience. But in older translations, the term is actually long-suffering. And long-suffering, while it doesn't sound quite great, uh, you're like, oh, I I don't really feel like I'm long-suffering when I'm being patient. The reality is long-suffering is exactly what patience here in this bible verse means it truly means long suffering and I want to read the Webster's definition um, in 1828 to the term patience to see hey they actually thought at one point that patience was long suffering it's going to be projected it says the suffering of afflictions pain toil calamity provocation or other evil with a calm unruffled temper Endurance without murmuring or fretfulness. Patience may spring from the constitutional fortitude, from a kind of heroic pride, or from Christian submission to the divine will. You see, patience had a much different uh, definition in the middle slash beginning of the Industrial Revolution when we didn't actually need speed and efficiency like we do now for our lives to function. It really did mean long-suffering. What we've done, and it still means long-suffering, we've just taken long-suffering and said, "Uh, itty-bitty long-suffering, right? We want our long-suffering to be "Uh, just this much, not that much. You see, long-suffering or patient-enduring, or the way, however you want to use it, and faithfulness, one of the attributes that we will hear from in a couple weeks are the only two attributes that have a prerequisite of time. Patience, faithfulness, and what do none of us have? None of us have time. And I wonder at what cost has all this busyness meant? Cost to our lives, cost to our marriages, cost to our mental states, our relationships and friendships. But we're in a church, right? What about the cost to our Christ-likeness? To our Christianity? Is your commitment to efficiency or speed killing your Christianity? Or maybe I'll say it like this. Is the God of efficiency and speed replacing the God of the universe in your life? I'll say it again. It's up there. Is the God of efficiency and speed replacing the God of the universe in your life? Because... We talked about if you showed all nine of these attributes that you would be set apart. But the reality is the, everything that our culture is throwing a, at us is helping us not be set apart, but to be set into the culture. Everything. We're not being set apart. We're actually supposed to get in line with what everything is being said. And it's crazy to think that when you actually hear someone might be patient or that, in our current reality, in our life, we actually think that that person may not be so smart. We think that person maybe is just a little bit slow, not quick-witted, not savvy. Why? Because we've already believed that the currency of business is speed. And so if speed is the currency to looking smart, to getting your work done quicker, to being on the ball on everything, then of course you're going to think that the person that's patient is, "Mm, maybe they're just not quite where they should be. So can we consider the question, is it necessary? And if it's necessary, then we need to look at, why patience? What about some examples to show us? how patience has been amazing in our lives. How long did you save and look for that offer to be accepted on your first house? You were patient, and how amazing did that feel when you signed the last piece of paperwork and got your keys? What about Thanksgiving dinner? We absolutely love, love those big holiday meals, or at least I do. Those holiday meals, they took some long suffering. They didn't happen overnight. They're work, they take time. And guess what? They are you get paid off for that extra work, right? How about the work effort and time and patience it took into getting your degree? For some of you, the patience to pay off your degree too. How about? Excuse me. Um, how about getting away on a vacation? You'll do whatever it takes to get away. Uh, to, to wait for that vacation. Because there's an amazing reward on the other end, like 29 degrees in Florida. (laughs) Or as a parent, the news when you find out you're pregnant, you've waited and waited to get pregnant, and all of a sudden you find out that news. You'll wait for that patience. Or the nine months with your child in the womb, you'll wait for that. Or watching your children become young adults, that requires a lot of patience. Um, speaking to my teenagers and young adults. And some of us may want to clap to this statement, but I just want to, um, I I want you to know that I'm speaking just directly to them right now. How about waiting for the right one and not settling for a half-hearted relationship because that's what you think you deserve. You deserve so much more. Be patient. And, And in that wait... In that wait, waiting for sex preserved inside the marriage covenant. Because whether you believe it or not, it's what the Bible says. If you want, you can follow culture's lead. And basically, what we've done, even in Christianity, is we've just continued to change what our perception of the Bible is because that's what culture's saying. We might as well rewrite the Bible every single time culture makes another turn. So, so young people, hold on one second. Young people, I want you to hear this. It's worth it. It's hashtag worth it to wait. Amen. And in case you need more examples, I want to highlight a couple examples um, in the word of God. Noah's ark, it, it, it took Noah between 55 to 75 years to build the ark. 55 to 75 years to build a structure that no one had ever seen and rain had never come to the earth. Can you imagine his neighbors? Noah, you still up on that thing? Oh, am I out of of range? Noah, you still up on that thing? Why are you continuing to work on that? They've never seen rain before. They must have thought he was crazy. But how did God reward him? With his life, with his family's life. What about the Israelites? It took the Israelites seven years to build the temple, and Solomon's palace, it took 13 years. How many contractors would you have gone through if it took 13 years to build your house? You'd have gone through a few, right? But think of the reward when that house is built. What about Sarah? Sarah waited until she was at the age of 90, 90 to have Isaac. Now, you might say, oh, well, it was Bible times, Nick, so I don't really take all that um, too seriously. She died at 127, which is not that much older than our current state. She waited almost her entire life for the reward. What about Moses? Moses spent 40 years wandering through the wilderness with the Israelites. And later on in that wandering, he found out he wasn't even going to go to the promised land. That's a sobering thought. And here's why it's so sobering. It's certainly sobering for me. Have you ever thought that your entire life is simply God working out patience for you? In you. Sorry, not for you, in you. That the thing you may be waiting for to sprout or grow in your life won't grow until you are gone. Or He's refining you on earth for eternity. You see, I don't think having more patience actually makes your life happier or better. What it does is it produces meaning in your life. It helps you find purpose in your life. It helps you be set apart. And I want to read what it says at the end of Moses' life. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 9 and 10. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses has laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Listen to this. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, but there hadn't arisen a prophet in all of time like Moses. So while we didn't, we don't think that he received a reward... The reward was the process all along the way. Finally, what about the example of Christ? Christ was 30 when he began his public ministry. When you compare that to the length of his public ministry, which was three years, that must have felt like an eternity. I wonder what Christ was thinking about in his teenage years and his 20-somethings, wondering, man, why am I having to wait this long? Knowing he was going to have to die, but having to continue to wait. What was he doing? He was waiting for his father. If you ever ask the question, God, why do I have to wait? Maybe the answer is as simple as I made my son wait so that I could do eternal work in him and I need to do that same eternal work in you. I made my son wait so that I could do eternal work in him, I need to do that same eternal work in you. Before we understand how to have patience, we need to understand why we don't show patience. And we talked about a little bit how our culture um, has uh, kind of helped with that. But I want to I link this a little bit to how we perceive our relationship with God. Three weeks ago, Pastor Tom shared a verse many of us heard, uh, 1 John 4, 8, and it says says this, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Why it is that we are impatient lies in the subtleness of this three-word statement, God is love, and our understanding or misunderstanding of it. You see, when we say God loves, so not God is love, when God loves, it implies a direct interaction or action has taken place. And therefore, the inverse of that action can take place. God cannot love. But that can't happen. God can't not love you. He loves all of us. Because why? Because he is love. When you say God is love, it implies love is a being, an action, not an action, and therefore it can't be stopped, removed, or taken away. So let me explain this a little bit differently. Um, Most of us have had a friend or friends uh, at some point in time where we had like a transactional relationship with them. And it it was kind of like a a give-get relationship, or maybe you were always the give or you were always the get, one or the other. But you've had a friendship that um, you always kind of had to do something for each other. Actually, networking is a give-get type of situation, right? And I want to take a little bit of liberty here, but I'm going to throw myself right into it. Um, I wonder if we've created transactional relationships with God. What do I mean by that? We approach God with a specific need or needs, believing he's going to help us out. And in return for him helping us out, what do we do? We give something back to God. Maybe we pray. Maybe we tithe. Maybe we come to church. We do all these things to give back to God because we're expecting or wanting something back. It's a reciprocal, interacting relationship. So then what do we say? God will show me love by providing for me, protecting me, healing me, watching over my family bringing my son or daughter back to our home, bringing them back to God, healing my marriage, blessing my finances, finding me a spouse, allowing us to get pregnant, finding the perfect house. But what is the problem with this mindset? What happens when one of those actions doesn't happen? In our minds, he hasn't held up his end of the bargain. You see, we believe we've performed our end of the transaction, but there's no return service. And therefore, we lose patience. I mean, we might even say, I'm losing my patience with you, God. We lose patience when he's not, underst- when he's not answering our qu- requests quickly enough on our timeline. We lose patience. And that's why we're not showing patience. You see, in a transactional relationship, you withhold things because you may be upset waiting for the reciprocal transaction to occur on your timeline. But that's not the case with God because his very essence is love. He's he's not withholding your fill in the blank. Everyone has a blank. Fill it in right now. He's not withholding that from you because he doesn't love you. He loves you. He loves you because he is love. Not because he chose to love you. He loves you because he is love. God is the God of transformation. So we talked about transactional. Now we're talking about transformational, which is how we need to see God. If we see God as a transformative God then we instantly put our lives on his rails. The plan he has for our lives and the subsequent timeline that plan is on becomes our reality. And patience now isn't something we try to fight. Patience is the byproduct of being on the rails that he has for your life. Every single one of us has a set of rails that he wants to put you on. When you put yourself on that, when you're on His rails, patience just becomes a byproduct of being there because you don't see the you don't see the need to get something done quicker. You don't see the need to put it on your timeline because it becomes on His timeline. Our resu- our impatience is simply a result of wanting God to perver- per- perform a transaction that He hasn't done. Just like our Insta culture where everything is a transaction, we've created an Insta-God. An Insta-God. Can you pressure Kirk this relationship? Can you swipe right on this marriage? Can you heal now? Can we just have a quick God chat? Can you send answers in 140 characters? Our Insta-Lives have created an insta-god because we don't really have time for anything other than our insta-god. Okay. (laughs) So how? How do we have patience? Uh, Before I I move on, I'm talking to you and I recognize I'm the one on the platform. Man, that I needed to hear too. We've created insta-gods in our lives, and we've tried to, we try to move him along in our timeline. Recognize that this is not just me shouting or talking to you. How do we do this? The first thing that we need to do is we need to shift our mindset from a transactional to a transformative God. We need to stop... Putting God in this box of our Western, postmodernistic, materialistic, culturally aware box that we keep putting him in. Because guess what? That's not exciting. There's no reason for an individual that you might be praying for at work to come and give their life to that God. It's way more exciting to give your life to a transformative God. A God that transforms your life. The practical application of shifting our mindset... We change our prayer life from God, please help me, to God, please change me. The second thing we need to do is we need to create conditions for growth. We're talking about fruit, right? How do we create conditions for growth? How does fruit start? It starts as a seed. And what does a seed need to grow? It needs pressure. That's why it's planted in the ground. That's why you have to be a specific height. It needs that pressure. It needs nutrients. It needs fertile soil. It needs proper watering. It needs the sun. It needs time, patience to grow. And some fruit even needs other plants around it to grow. It's a really cool understanding of fruit, right? If you started to understand that and understand what when God said fruit of the spirit, it changed the way you think. So when you gave your life to the Lord, or when you're going to give your life to the Lord, amen to that, right? Amen. amen. The Holy Spirit's deposited inside of you, which means the soil's prepared, the seed's planted, pressure is applied. Here's what you need to do. You need to allow the sun, S-O-N, to shine through your life. You need to water frequently with the Word, the Word of God. It says in uh, John 4.14, 14, 4, 14, Whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water he's giving us is the word of God. Right? Practical application. You pick up this. And the last thing is you surround yourself around others who help reproduce the fruit. My wife talks to our kids about, um, look at the five people around you. That's going to tell you how your future is, right? That's uh, an old saying. Um, Are those people fitting in with that insta-culture? Or are they trying to be set apart? Because I promise you, if you have four other people, five other people that are trying to be set apart, it's a whole lot easier than if you're sitting with five other people that are already getting in the flow of our culture. The third thing that we need to do is prune dead branches. In John 15, 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Approximately five years ago, one of the things that has happened in our lives over the last six years, uh, my wife lost a really close friend. And in uh, memorial of that close friend, we planted a rose bush in our backyard. You know what has to happen every year for that rose bush to bloom the two times throughout the summer? You need to prune in between those blooms. Our ability to see patience, and for that matter, the entire fruit of the Spirit hinges on daily, weekly, yearly pruning. And I'm not going to assume I know what that means in your life. I know I have the things that I need to prune. And every single one of you right now are thinking of something that you need to prune as well. And I encourage you to prune it. And if you're a little scared about pruning it, don't be, don't be shy about asking someone else, Hey, what do I need to prune in my life? It's hard to hear that, but it's worth it. Ask someone else. The fourth thing and the last thing that we need to do to see patience revealed in our lives is we need to taste and see. This is fruit. We need to taste and see. Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we taste and see? We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. What is all of these things? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. That's all of these things. If we're set apart, if we are to be set apart, as we've been talking about this morning, the single greatest attribute, I believe, and maybe I'm a little, um, (laughs) obviously I've been talking about patience, so I'm a little tilted. But I think patience is the single greatest one of those attributes of the nine that will show that you are set apart in this world because no one's patient. Before I close, I want us to realize that this is is an interesting sermon um, that I had to prepare because it's not necessarily about a set of, although I gave some practical application, it's not necessarily like a set of things that you need to do. It is shifting our mindset from thinking about a transactional God because of how our culture has led us to believing that we serve a transformative God that wants to transform our lives from the inside out. And to bring that to life, I want to close with the story of a man in the Bible named Job. A man who was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. He did everything right. Everything right in God's eyes, everything right in the world's eyes. He was a blameless man. And uh, God allowed Satan to test him with thing after thing. God basically saying, he's going to be faithful to me. You watch. I, uh, the reason, there's been many times over the last six years that uh, Job has been an encouragement to me because of certain things that my family has had to go through. And I don't, I don't necessarily want you to hear my words here. Um, we've, we've had our fair share of struggles, fair share of times that um, we've needed to be patient. But as I look out and see certain people in um, these seats, uh, I know that all of you have had something in your life where you... Where you've struggled, where you've felt like, man, I feel like I've been patient beyond belief. And God, where are you? And it feels like just as you're starting to turn that corner, just as rest is starting to come, another right hook comes. And you're like, what the heck? I was being patient for you, God. You saying that? means that you're thinking about a transactional God, not a transformational God. I want you to hear what Job said in the midst of chaos, utter pain, everyone abandoning him, losing everything. It's found in Job 23 verse 14. It says, for he, this is Job talking, For he, meaning God, will complete what he appoints for me. You see, in the midst of Job's crisis, he realized that God can be trusted with his life. He realized God can be trusted with his life. If we trusted God, would we become more patient with him? He has certainly been patient with you, or maybe I shouldn't say you. He's been patient with me. He's been extremely patient with me because I promise you I've let him down. I've turned my back on him. I've tried to do things in my own life. I've tried to usurp his will. I've tried to take the reins, whatever metaphor you want to use. And yet he's still been patient with me. So yes, this verse, God, you will complete what you have appointed for me. I wanna say it together, ready? And I wanna take for he, I wanna say God. Ready, go. God will complete what he appoints for me. Again, God will complete what he appoints for me. He's appointing it for you, not you it's not a transaction it's not something that you've taken over he will complete what he has appointed for you and as job went through a period of long suffering patiently enduring it says at the end of the book of job that the lord restored the fortunes of job times two he restored Job, not when he saw his relationship with his god as a transactional one, but a transformative one. Not when he saw a God that loves him, but that as a God who is love. And while Job's long suffering was restored, we find our reward, the patient, our reward for patience in the book of Romans chapter five, verses three through five. Not only that, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing knowing that suffering produces endurance. That's patience. Suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice something here. There's not a transaction waiting. God's love is being poured into you through the Holy Spirit. It was done on the cross at Calvary. And then all he's asking you to do is accept him. And when you've accepted him, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And what did I say the Spirit is? The Spirit is a reward for allowing that Holy Spirit to live. It's the reward. So we all have something that we've been patiently enduring, long suffering. The way the world sees you handle that is what will set you apart. The way the world sees you handle that long suffering is what will set you apart. I want everyone to stand this morning. Alex, uh, Luke, and the band are going to continue for a moment after I leave um, the platform, and uh, there won't be words for just a moment. And I want that time to be a really sweet time between you and the Lord. And if you want to stay there, you can. These altars are open. You can come down here. And I'm not specifically saying you have to get prayer. I'm saying the altars are open for you to come and surrender. And if you feel like the surrender has to happen because you're raising your hands, then raise your hands. If you feel like you can surrender by raising your heart to him, then raise your heart to him. But every single one of us has something in our lives where we have been patient. We have gone through some level of long suffering and some of you feel like you're on the other end of it and some of you feel like you're in the middle of it. I want you to say that scripture that we said about Job over your life. God, I know you'll complete this because you appointed it for me. I know you will. Healing, relationships, salvations, redemption, forgiveness, restoration. I know you will complete what you've appointed for me.